What's up, witches? I'm Claudia. And I'm Jess. And welcome to True Crime Coven. Hi, everyone. Hey, hello. Welcome back. And welcome to, well, Happy April Fool's Day. Did we say Happy April Fool's Day? I don't know. I guess you're (laughs) (laughs) you're supposed to be pranking each other, so maybe you wouldn't. Yeah, happy April Fool's Day. I'm going to say pinch punch the first of the month and no returns. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. What's the other one? Slap kick for being so quick? Some oh, I guess I slap up. quick for being a prick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, true. <laughs> that works too. Yeah. Well, guys, we have a little prank for you because we're just yeah, such, we're such jokesters. <laughs> the worst prank in the world. It's literally the I worst mean, prank I think I I've mean, ever pulled. I, I'm not sure you can go as far <laughs> to say that this is a prank, but yeah, it's what we're calling next. We don't know what else to call it. We're basically doing a switcheroo, so yeah. I'm going to tell some goosty stories. And I am going to bring you a true crime or like a case. Yeah, I was, I, I was waiting for you to say true crime case and you were like, a true crime. I was like, has she committed one? <laughs> but yeah, so I, it is the worst, the worst prank in the world, yeah. but we had to do something. We didn't want to make a fake crime because I think that's been done. Oh, it got done by Crime Junkie last year. Yeah. Considering they're the biggest true crime podcast. Also, they also did it so well. Like, yeah. yeah. Also, I know Claudia has ghost stories and we thought this was the best way for her to tell them because it's a bit weird if you write down a ghost story for me to read out. And I sat there like, oh, brand new information. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, you're telling, you're telling it wrong. <laughs> That's not what happened. <laughs> False information. This is also um, where we find out that I'm better at what you do and you're better at what I do and we just have to change the whole format of the show. Jess, what, what case have you got for me today? Oh, I'm going to kick off on my... Right, so have you heard of Kevin Weaver? No. Sorry, I haven't, no. No, so Kevin Weaver, uh, well, you've brought lots of crimes and cases from London where you were born and raised and lived the majority of your life. So I thought I would bring a Bristol murderer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, because honestly, London's starting to look very bad at this point. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to be talking about a Bristolian murderer called Kevin Weaver. So obviously the usual trigger warnings, obviously murder, violence and gun violence. Mm. Oh, um, a UK gun violence. Yeah. Spicy. So when I was looking into this case, (laughs) it is (laughs) it is quite an old case. Okay. It did happen quite a few years ago. I think it was like in the 80s. Wow. I expected you to be like 1842. Well, I mean, quite a while ago. But I think it was what caused like the restrictions on gun licensing oh. and owning guns in England and probably the whole I don't of the know UK. if gun well oh I do I don't I suppose I've never really thought about when guns became like more restricted. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of that triggered those no restrictions. Pun intended. <laughs> no pun intended. Always puns intended. Okay, so I couldn't actually find a lot on the background of Kevin Weaver. Only that he was born in 1963. Couldn't even find his actual date of birth. Just the year he was born. Same age as my dad. <laughs> and his mum was a woman called Margaret who worked at the box office at the Hippodrome. Oh, okay. Yeah. So very, very, very local. The Hippodrome's <laughs> a theatre for anyone yeah, in, in Bristol. <laughs> and there wasn't anything on Kevin's father, only that he died when Kevin was very young. 
Kevin grew up in a small terrace house in the Roseberry Park area of Redfield Oops, in Bristol, no, and he lived that. with his mother and his sister Linda. As his father died when he was young, his mum spent his younger days spoiling him, getting him whatever he wanted. And Kevin grew up to be an accounts clerk, but he didn't stick at it for long. He was described as an overweight, spotty loner, and by the end... Oh, I know, Jesus! I know, it's really mean, isn't it? <laughs> Say um, how it is. <laughs> honestly, I could not find many nice things about him. I mean, he is a murderer. I, I mean, guess they're not yeah, going to be yeah. like, he was great. By the age of 24... He had no job, he was living off his mother, and he spent his days sulking around at home, drinking excessive amounts of whiskey, and watching horror and violent action films. But he was also a huge gun enthusiast, so he was a member of a clay pigeon shooting gun club, and he was a licensed shotgun holder, and he owned many, many weapons. And I actually read that his mum actually bought him some of his guns, some he ordered just in the post from magazines. I mean, you can still do that now, though. Yeah, and he was a licensed gun holder, so they wouldn't bat an eyelid. In 1983, when Kevin was just 20 years old, he met 16-year-old Alison Woodman and fell in love. They became boyfriend and girlfriend and were engaged just a year later. Over the years, Kevin became erratic and possessive, and in 1985, Alison had finally had enough and broke off their engagement. I mean, good honour. Yeah, I mean, if yeah, if... Your partner's becoming erratic and possessive. Don't stick around. But it's very hard to get out of that, I feel like. Yeah, it is. Well, but Kevin wasn't giving up easy. They never do. They never do. He hounded her with phone calls and would wander around outside her house waiting for her, which was in the Down End area of Bristol. So obviously today that would have been seen as stalking, but back then apparently it wasn't like a widely accepted problem as it is today. I mean, even now it's very hard to get a stalking... I want to say conviction, but a stalking sort of case to be taken seriously. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know so much about the legality of it, but I know it is very difficult and it's something that puts a lot of women and men, but mm. it is predominantly women, yeah. in danger because it's so hard to get that taken seriously. Yeah, definitely. And although Alison did her best to ignore Kevin, she didn't want to end on bad terms. So mm. she just tried to be like, okay, no, just ignore him. He'll eventually go away. He didn't, and she was described as a good-natured person. So in February 1987, she agreed to meet Kevin for drinks to talk things over. Okay. So Kevin spent the evening pleading with Alison to take him back, but Alison put her foot down and was adamant she did not want to get back with him. Which, I mean, fair play to her. She's a girl who knows what she wants. Yeah. Don't be manipulated. Yeah, definitely. But obviously... Kevin did not take this news well. So he decided the only rational thing to do would be to kidnap her. He held her hostage in his car and threatened to kill her. Kevin proceeded to get out of the car, walk around to the boot, and he collected his shotgun and ammunition. Luckily, this gave Alison the opportunity she needed to escape. Kevin made no attempt to go after her, and he decided to flee the scene, and he was later discovered fast asleep in his car in a remote area of Wales. The shotgun and cartridges were still next to him in the car when he was found. Kevin was obviously arrested at the scene, but he was later released as Alison decided to not press charges, because as far as she was concerned, no crime had been committed. Um, I'm going to say it's a bit of a crime. Yeah, kidnapping someone, holding them in their car and threatening to kill them with a gun. Yeah. Also, he's been stalking her for months. Like, there's two years in between them 
breaking up and then them meeting to I sort suppose maybe out. she just wanted the chapter closed on it yeah and tried to get rid of him so anyway because she didn't press charges the police had to drop the case mm. but they did make the decision to take away all of his guns and his licenses good that was until Alison wrote a letter to Avon and Somerset Police saying she thought Kevin should be allowed his guns back as he was a genuine and reasonable person. This was also followed by a similar statement from his mum suggesting the same thing. It's difficult because I I completely understand Alison not wanting to drag it out and like maybe being scared of him and therefore not wanting to take it to court. Yeah. But I'd be very happy if the person who threatened me with any weapon had that weapon taken away. Yeah. So obviously she said he could have his guns back. His mum said he could have it, he should have his guns back. And also a police psychologist reported that she could find no evidence of mental illness in Kevin and could not see a reason for him to not have his weapons and his gun license returned. Isn't it worse if you haven't got a mental illness and you you threaten someone with a gun? Yeah. In a way. I would think so too. So I mean I suppose it makes you more stable in some people's eyes, but you then had more of a sound mind. I mean he did use his guns as a hobby. He did go clay pigeon shooting. So I but do why understand do you need why multiple, they... I don't know anything about guns. We've said this no. before. But why do you need multiple, multiple guns? Like, surely you need maybe one type for clay pigeon shooting. If you're not planning to use it for anything else, then can't that be kept with someone at, like where you go clay pigeon shooting? Yeah, shoot rather than in the boot of your car. Yeah. And then surely you just need another one for each type of hunting you do. They do obviously give him his gun and license back. They obviously at that time don't see anything. I mean, obviously now we're looking back on it and thinking, well, yeah, he was a bit of a drinker. He's already threatened someone, stalked them and watches a lot of violent films, which doesn't necessarily make you a violent person, but... It's like all things combined. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in the two years following his breakup with Alison, Kevin spent his time brooding and drinking. His mental health was deteriorating and he was becoming obsessed with Alison, resenting her. Then, on the 19th of August, 1987, Michael Ryan committed the Hungerford Massacre, in which he went on a rampage and fatally shot 16 people. Kevin became obsessed. Kevin recorded the footage of Michael Ryan's rampage and would watch it continuously, taking notes. This flicked a switch in Kevin's mind, and it was then that he decided that Alison would be better off dead than alive yeah like there's being interested in something that happens because it fascinates you like we're all here because we're interested in true crime but to record it watch it back take notes so yeah i don't think you need to take notes on anything unless you're doing a podcast on it i know (laughs) i did feel a bit weird taking notes on this but (laughs) so on the 14th of october 1987 just 56 days after the hungerford massacre Kevin's mother woke up early, leaving Kevin and Linda fast asleep. Something had snapped within Kevin's brain, and he woke up thinking, today is the day. He knew she would be in Patchway at Alexandra Workwear, where she worked as an office temp. At this point, Kevin had been banned from driving, so he didn't own his own car. So he was going to have to borrow his sister's. In normal circumstances, Kevin and his sister actually got on really well. However, when it came to Alison, they did not see eye to eye. Linda didn't agree with him hassling Alison, and due to his ban, he knew she wouldn't let him use her car. So obviously he had to come up with a solution of how to get to Alison. When Kevin awoke, he went downstairs, opened up a bottle of whiskey and began drinking. He then went into his cupboard, found his toolbox and took out a heavy hammer. 
He then walked past his own bedroom and into his sister's room where she lay sleeping. He raised the hammer and smashed it into his sister's skull at least 30 times with such force the handle of the hammer snapped. There is anger there. Yeah, 30 times as well. He then dragged his sister's mangled corpse into the bathroom and placed her body in the bath. He wondered how he would tell his mother about what he'd done and decided that she could never find out. So he found himself a new hammer and waited for his mother to return home from shopping. As his mother walked through the door, she was greeted with Kevin and the second hammer and he bludgeoned her to death. Mm. He added his mother's body to the bath with his sisters. He filled it with water, cleaned and dried his clothes and then he turned on the gas and planted a detonator mine as a trap for the police. Okay. Why did he fill up the bathtub with water? Don't know. After he left his house, he put three guns, including a pump-action shotgun with hundreds of rounds of ammunition in a golf bag. And then he had also apparently bought some body armor online and put this on too. He then got into his sister's car and drove to Alison's place of work. He took out his shotgun and walked up to Alison's desk where she was surrounded by about 30 of her colleagues. He walked up to Alison's desk and grabbed her arm and said, Come on, Alison, we're going. She screamed and ran across the room away from him, taking cover under a desk. This alerted David Purcell, a 29-year-old former police officer turned data manager who'd just become a father for the first time to twins. He thought we would be able to talk Kevin down and disarm him, but unfortunately, this was not the case. Kevin shot David in the shoulder, and as he lay on the floor, screaming out in agony, Kevin shot him again, point-blank range, killing him. Kevin later told the police, I felt threatened by him. I thought he was going to overpower me, so I shot him. I shot him a second time to stop him suffering. What, even though he could have made a full recovery? Yeah. But in a slightly lighter note, David Purcell later received a posthumous Queen's Gallantry Medal for his heroic actions and losing his own life to save his colleagues. Which is nice, it's but a bit also... bittersweet though, isn't it? Yeah. I think I'd rather have my dad or my, my, my husband than yeah. a medal. And I, there was actually medal a photo online. Raise kids. Yeah, there was actually a photo online of him and they were literally like newborn Ugh. twins as well. Unfortunately, it doesn't end there. <laughs> Kevin then turned to the rest of the office and sprayed the room with bullets. Through an office partition, accountant John Peterson was hit in the back and sadly died on the way to hospital. But... Luckily, they were the only two that were shot. Okay. So Kevin then walked up to Alison, who was still hiding under a desk, and pointed the gun at her. He then dropped it and told her, this is your lucky day. And he later told police that he couldn't go through with killing Alison because he still loved her. I bet she didn't feel very lucky, though. No. I mean, I th- she thought she was going to die. Yeah, lucky and in then, one sense, but yeah. like... She did have to witness him point blank kill other members of her like work team and her colleagues. So, yeah. yeah, lucky's a strong word. Yeah, it is. But by this point, a lot of employees had begun to flee. Obviously, half of them took cover, half of them managed to flee. And at this point, Kevin turned his back on the horror scene and began walking back to his sister's car. Linda Evans, a twenty-year-old polio survivor, wasn't able to flee the scene as quickly as the others. So she chose to hide behind a car. Unfortunately, the car she decided to hide behind was Kevin's sister's. Kevin walked towards her and raised his shotgun. Luckily, two lorry drivers raced over to Linda's rescue and one of them shouted, don't be silly, put it down. 
Surprisingly, Kevin lowered his gun and said, I've done what I came to do. He got into his car and drove away. And but he didn't do what he came to do. No. Which, like, I'm happy for, but, like... Unless he was like, I'm going to kill someone today. Doesn't have to be Alison. What was he getting out of this, though, like? Uh, honestly, I don't know. But luckily, he was arrested the same day and he was found on the A37 between Whitchurch and Pensford. So as the police were interviewing Kevin, they went to his house and they found his mother and his sister at home in the bathtub. Luckily, they also found the trap that he laid and no one else was hurt that day. So the police managed to get in and find the scene without any fatalities, which is nice. Yeah. I mean, I suppose one of the things to do before they enter a scene is to check it and clear it. Yeah. One report said that they like shot the windows so that all the gas escaped. So that when they went, they must have been able to smell it. Yeah. While on trial on the 28th of March 1988 at Bristol Crown Court, it was reported that Kevin's detachment from reality was chilling. And Superintendent Ray Sargison, the officer in charge of the investigation, reported he is a cold, ruthless killer who inflicted some of the worst injuries I've seen in 25 years. He has not shown one ounce of remorse. He was sentenced to Broadmoor Secure Hospital and he was labelled as a psychopath and a danger to the public and he was given life imprisonment. Yeah, I mean, I'm very happy he didn't shoot Alison. Yeah. Because... It's, it's kind of a bittersweet though, isn't it? Yeah, because obviously if he shot her, she would still be an innocent person being shot. But like other more innocent people, and I mean more innocent in a, like a way of complete strangers. Mm, yeah. Alison's completely innocent as well. But yeah. I mean, like, if there's a way to be, like, n- like extra innocent, like, yeah. being a complete stranger, it's just like, what? What did you get and out of that? And one guy was literally just trying to talk him down. He just went out there. He was a former police officer. He thought, I Probably can deal with this. Probably thought it was his duty as well. Yeah. He thought, I can deal with this. And unfortunately, he couldn't. I think him killing his mom and his sister are the worst thing about that because it was so violent. Yeah, like, shooting a gun is a very, like, instant... Almost, you can do it and like not have time to think. Yeah, and as much as like the first guy that he shot was like horrific, the second guy he was just spraying a room with bullets. Like it was lucky it was only one. Like that yeah. could that could have been all thirty. Unfortunately, people in that, that guy was wrong place, wrong time. Yeah, but it could. I like he wasn't aiming for him. Like no. obviously that doesn't make it any better. It's still horrific, but it's almost lucky that it was just that one guy in a room when there were 30 people in there. It could have been way worse. But the fact that he bludgeoned his mom and his sister, people who he loved to death with a hammer. hes I've seen photos of him. He's a pretty big guy and he was it was reported that he was 16 stone. Okay, so they so, yeah. would have had no chance. Yeah, it's, it's, it's sad because it seems like his mom never did anything wrong by him. Like she was no. like too supportive in my eyes of yeah. him. Yeah. Yeah, and his sister, like, apparently he got on well with his sister and she was sleeping. Yeah. Sounds like she was quite a good person as well. Yeah. Oh. Very sad. See, Bristol's bad too. (laughs) I did find a few other crimes in Bristol, so maybe you can report on some of them. Well, thanks, Jess. Did you enjoy doing a true crime case? I did, actually. Did you enjoy researching or do you now appreciate... (laughs) How much of a nightmare it is sometimes. I mean, some of my cryptid ones, I've had to do a lot of research too. True, true. I know what you mean though. You do end up 
going down so many different rabbit holes mm. because I'm like, there was that massacre that inspired him. I'm like, I could have gone down a whole rabbit hole of the original yeah. one. <laughs> right, well, are you ready for my ghost story? I am so ready for your ghost story. This is going to be so fun hearing it from the <laughs> other side. So it's, it's really weird that I sort of knew that I had some ghost encounters, but mm. had you asked me a year ago, do you know, like, have you ever had an experience of a ghost? I would probably be like, oh, like, there was this one time, and then there was this one time, and then there was band camp. Um, <laughs> you were thinking you, it. I, yeah, I did wonder where you're going with that. Um, but no, that, like, I would have probably been like, oh, yeah, like, I've had a few experiences, but nothing exciting. Mm. And then I think through doing this and through discovering within the last year a really great ghost story podcast called yeah. Real Life Ghost Stories, yeah. shout out to Emma, who hosts that. I realised, damn, I kind of grew up in a haunted house. Ooh, um, <laughs> Yeah, not to brag. but uh, <laughs> So I thought, I was going to, like we said earlier, I was going to tell you them. Yeah. But I sort of thought, we always said that it's better if I tell them. Oh, so 100%. I thought this was the best way to yeah, do yeah, so. Yeah. Therefore, it's, I'm not going to lie, it's not like the most chilling thing. I didn't see anything per se, mm. but it was definitely something that occurred throughout my childhood. And I think a lot of it was just normal. Like it became normal, so it, which is why I didn't realise. Yeah, you just, you just brushed it off and you were like, oh yeah, that's just... That's just what it is. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to start off by just sort of telling you what happened, I guess, and then a bit mm. of an explanation for it. Nice. So I grew up in South East London, in yeah. a suburb, about 10 miles from the centre of London. Mm. And I grew up in a very normal suburban street. Um, it was like a four-bedroom house, which makes it sound massive, but it was like an attic extension. Both my parents are quite liberal, so it was like quite a colourful house. Mm. We always have pets and stuff. I don't have a massive family. I've got my mum, my dad, and my sister. My parents did divorce when I was 11, so after that, it was obviously a bit quieter. Yeah. But there was a few things that went on. So I never liked my bedroom as a mm. kid. And I do attribute this to one just being an anxious child. Fair. <laughs> I, was, I, I have anxiety as an adult, and mm. I still don't like the dark. But as a kid, I really hated my bedroom, which only got worse after my parents split up and my dad yeah, moved out. fair enough, yeah. Where we had a four-bedroom house and only, like, the need for three bedrooms, mm. I was able to be in the back bedroom, which was a good size. Yeah. Bigger than any of the rooms in my house now. And my parents, like, decorated it nicely for me and everything like that. But I really didn't like it to the point where I wanted to go in the box room. Which oh, wow. was not even half the size yeah. of the bedroom. And I remember at one point, like, I set up a full bed in there. <laughs> And everything. And my mum was like, okay, cool, who do you? <laughs> and I don't know why I never liked my bedroom, but I just, I didn't. Just had a feeling about it. And I've always had sleeping issues ever since I was a kid. It was really bad to the point where someone would have to sit with me until I went to sleep. Oh, wow. And I'm talking, like, way older than you should have to sit with a kid for them to go yeah. to sleep. This could also be because I've just always had insomnia. Mm. So it's kind of hard to, like, think about where this starts. Yeah. But... You'd always be sat downstairs in my living room and you would hear people walking about upstairs. And you could say, okay, maybe this is next door. But we were a semi-detached house, which again sounds fancier than it is. There was a tight we were on the house that happened to have a tiny alleyway next to it. Yeah. It wasn't like we had nobody for miles. And next door, I don't think their floorboards connected to us. 
Oh, okay. So you wouldn't have necessarily heard them. No, because where my mum lives now, their floorboards are connected. Oh, yeah. So you can hear the people next door and it sounds like you, like your floorboards creak, but it it's, is them. It's next door, yeah. But I don't believe ours, ours were connected. I think these were much more like yeah. sturdy build, built houses. Yeah. So you'd hear someone walking around upstairs and we'd all sort of like hear it and hear people going up and down the stairs, but you wouldn't, again, I don't know why we just rationalised this out. Probably, as you said, because you were like, oh, it must just be next door. Or yeah, if someone wasn't in the room with you, you would probably be like, oh, it's just dad walking up and down the stairs. But it's weird because I think because I moved into this house when I was two years old and then we moved out when I was 16, mm. I never knew anything different. Yeah, like it just was what it was. Mm. So when I was around 14, yeah, one of my friends, Lauren, stayed around my house and slept on a mattress on my bedroom floor. Mm. And we woke up the next morning and she said, why did you touch my leg in the middle of the night? Ooh. And I was like, I didn't have been asleep all night. And our friend Vicky, who I'm still friends with to this day, yeah. was also sleeping. And she was like out for the count as well. She was like, I didn't touch your leg. Mm. And Lauren was adamant that someone touched her leg. And I didn't know how to explain it. Yeah. And I remember them being in a car with my mum a week later and saying to her, Lauren said someone touched her leg in the middle of the night. Mm. I think our house is haunted. Yeah. I mean, my mum have always, as I've said before, been quite open. My mum's very spiritual. Yeah. Always been very open about ghosts and stuff. But understandably, with her child having such sleeping problems, she wasn't yeah. going to be like... Oh, yeah, our house is haunted. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, she wouldn't have told me before that. So then my mum said to me, I'm going to tell you something and you need to not get freaked out. <laughs> but our house is haunted. Okay. And she proceeded to tell me that she went to a clairvoyant years ago who told her, yes, you have a ghost in your house. It is a child ghost. Oh. And it is of your husband's brother, Crispin. Oh, wow. So my dad had a brother mm. who died suddenly of cot death oh, at wow. 18 months old. Oh, that's so sad. And through grief and through being very stiff upper lip British mm. my nan never used to speak about him she does now she speaks oh, about him a lot okay, more that's good. but she never used to speak about him yeah and the clairvoyant said that the reason he hangs around us is because one we've got young kids and my yeah. dad is the only one of his siblings to have kids oh, okay. so we are the only kids or yeah. we were the only kids in the family mm. so he hangs around you guys because you've got young kids yeah he especially likes to hang out in your youngest daughter's room. Mm. He means no harm, okay. but he is a bit of a jokester because he died as a child. And even yeah. though he's grown up in the spirit world, he's still very young in soul. Yeah. He likes to move things around mm. and likes to play practical jokes. And a funny element of this, which is going to make everyone laugh, he also likes to fart. <laughs> um, don't we all? <laughs> um, you are related. Yeah. <laughs> so... My mum said, so yes. That's really weird that they picked up on that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, as much as you can say they're scams, that is very, very specific. Yeah. So she said, so my mum said to me, we don't need to be afraid. Okay. And if you ask him to stop moving your stuff, he will. Mm. And my mum proceeded to then tell me about how she's had instances where she would 
be unpacking shopping bags and obviously as you're unpacking things you put things like you might put something on the kitchen table put something yeah. on the side because you're like oh that's for here that's for there yeah I do it when because I don't want to leave the fridge open I put yeah. all the stuff in the fridge next or to the like, fridge or like yeah. she would be unpacking and she'd put like food for general cupboards on the side yeah, and then yeah, like yeah. oh this is meant for the bathroom I'll put it on the kitchen table yeah she said she'd literally like put like a can of hairspray on the kitchen table turn back round and it'd be gone oh okay she then said as well, he likes to take earrings and pieces of jewellery, mm. but if you attach them to something, like an earring holder, he can't. Oh, okay. So she then got me an earring holder, and I stopped losing earrings, which is something I always... Always done, yeah. I'd always done. Now, you could just say, yeah, you were a kid, you lost earrings. Yeah, fair enough. Fair, yeah. I don't know the validity of that. Yeah. That could have just been, like, whatever. But it's a funny coincidence. Yeah. Yeah. So a few things that I can pick out is one that... I had a cork board that was by my door on my bedroom wall mm. and I used to hang like labels and stuff on it like you know you got cool labels from the top and uh, you're like oh I'm gonna keep that because yeah. you're like a kid and you're like oh keep really random things yeah to this you? day I can't let anything go it's weird so I walked in the room shut the door mm. and I sat on my bed now obviously the labels and things dangling moved on the cork board it's going to that's wind yeah so I'm sat on my bed reading I used to be a total bookworm and I sat there reading and 10 minutes later I looked up and the things on my court board are still moving with the same momentum and gusto that they were when I first walked in. Yeah, like what was that 10 minutes ago? Yeah. <laughs> like, And even if it was wind from elsewhere, mm. I don't really know where, like looking back at my old house I couldn't have worked out where that came from. Yeah, it wasn't it's very like there was a window open. It's very weird for it to be the same gusto, literally the same side and side movement with the same amount of momentum. Yeah. Again, not particularly scary, but it was weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unsettling. My mum then told me how when I was at school, she mm. worked part-time, so she'd be off work during the day sometimes. Yeah. And she would go into my bedroom and open up my curtains, something that I never used to really open my curtains, ever. Mm. She'd open up my curtains, and in the middle of my curtain pole, I had a wind chime. And she'd go in, open it up, go into the bathroom, start cleaning, and she'd hear the wind chime go. Mm-hmm go back into my bedroom and my curtains be closed again. Oh, wow. She'd be like, okay. Open the curtains again, go back into the bathroom, hear the wind chime, and the same again. Yeah. And it just used to happen continuously. Constantly. Yeah. Again, not particularly scary, not menacing, but no, annoying. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <sighs> Definitely more annoying when you're trying to crack on with your day and open up the curtains and then you just can't. <laughs> yeah. And then I think the main climax, yeah. I would say, and this is something that to this day I can't, I have no idea what this was. Mm. I don't see why this would have been my uncle. I remember when my parents broke up, I, I slept in my mum's room for a bit. Yeah. I think I was just tra quite traumatised by the breakup. Yeah. didn't want to be alone. So Fair I slept enough. in my mum's room for like a few years. Mm. And we once woke up to hearing banging downstairs. Mm. And I remember sitting on my living room sofa and how my house was, was that you had the normal front room and then a separate back room that you had to come out of the living room into the hallway, into the back, back room. It yeah. wasn't open plan like a lot of things are now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember sitting on the sofa in the front room and you could hear banging going like on the walls, almost like from inside the walls of the living room, coming from where our next door neighbours were. Yeah. And then the banging would suddenly be in the back room the same. Oh, okay. Now, if this was our next door neighbours, how are they physically going that quickly? 
and into the back room as well. Because I know that their setup was the same. Yeah. I had been in their house. I know that their setup was also like come out of your living room, go into your back room. Yeah. How were they able to bang on the walls and run out and do it so and quickly? And do it again. Yeah. Secondly, why? Yeah. Thirdly, it's like four in the morning. Yeah, they're going to be asleep as well, aren't they? And I just remember sitting on the sofa with my mum and we were like, what is happening? Why is this banging happening and what is it? And it yeah. was really scary. Oh, I bet. And then I did actually say to my neighbours, because they had three boys who were, one of them was around my age. Mm. And I said to him, like, were you guys up like the other night at 4am like banging on the walls? And he was like, no. And it literally sounded like someone, their body pushed, like banged into the wall. Yeah. Or someone was banging on it. It was so loud. Mm. But it was just the weirdest experience. Weird that that didn't wake them up. No, that's the other well. thing. Why did it only wake us up? Yeah. Which is why I don't feel like it was coming through their walls. I feel like it was coming from inside the walls. the walls. Yeah. It was really weird. I also never liked our chimneys, which were in the front and back room. Okay. I always found them really scary as a kid. Fair. <laughs> I suppose other little ghosty things I've had is I've seen people... Mm. So one time I went across the road and I obviously looked up one way and I yeah. saw someone sitting in their car. Yeah. Parked. Yeah. And I looked at them and they smiled at me and I smiled back. I then you do. Yeah. I then looked the other way. I then looked back up and the car was empty. Ooh. Now, they could not have in that time, because you know how quickly you look at a road. Oh yeah, literally like left, right. Yeah. They could not have gotten out of their car no i would have heard it i would have seen them yeah that was weird mm. and i suppose the final thing is i had i don't really know what relation they would be but he's called uncle frank mm. wasn't my uncle well i was actually in my 20s when he died and he had a lot of odd knickknacks bits and bobs he was a puppeteer mm. a very oh, famous wow. puppeteer actually who you can look him up. His name's Frank Mumford. Mm. He like performed for the Queen and stuff. He's oh, got some wow. good stuff at the VNA. Yeah. So he died when I was in my twenties, and my auntie, for want of a better word, yeah. was very close to him. So she cleared out his house, mm. and all the stuff that was worth something, like all the puppets and dolls, she like took some to the VNA. Mm. She said they cooped her out a bit, understandably. That like, yeah. Yeah. and all like the, the instruments that he had, she like yeah. did. Like took them to random places where they like were meant not random places, but took them where they went to go. Yeah. And then the rest of the stuff she brought to her house, and we had like a big family get together, and it was like take what you want. Oh, that's nice. And I took some china plates that were very pretty, mm. like bone china. And nice. I also took a box that I now use to put all my hairbands in. Fair. And it's a very odd box. The date on it is 1869. Oh wow, very old. And. It's not worth anything because it hasn't got a lock on it, like the lock's broken. Yeah. But it says someone's name, I can't remember what name it says now, it's in the other room. But yeah, it's got that date on it. And I wasn't very close to him. I met him once or twice and I woke up since having these things in my possession. Yeah. To seeing him in my room. Ooh, creepy. One night in the dark. Now, obviously I had just woken up, you can put it down to that. Yeah. You can put it down to the fact that I knew that he didn't really know me and maybe he didn't like me having his stuff. Mm. So maybe it was completely my imagination. Yeah. But I saw him in my room and I felt yeah. unnerved. Yeah. And I said, look, I know I didn't know you that well, but I've got your stuff and I promise I'm going to look after it. Like, I'm not going to break it. I'm not yeah, going I'm, to yeah, disrespect I'm not be it. Reckless, yeah. 
And from then on, I never felt unsafe with the stuff in my room. Oh, nice. They do say that though, don't they? That the best way to deal with ghosts is to talk to them and say, look, I don't. Like, please, can you not do this? Yeah. Or... Well, because they're just people. Like, yeah. it's the best way to get someone to stop doing anything, is it not? But yeah, so that's my stories. Like, they're not particularly creepy. They're not like, oh my God, I, I saw mean, a black I'd, figure. But... I don't know. I've, if I woke up and saw someone in my room. Yeah. So, yeah, not particularly freaky. Not like the most like... <laughs> But yeah, I hope I think, everyone enjoyed it a little yeah, bit. I think every experience, whether it's like big or small, is still something. And sometimes you've got to have the smaller experiences to open your mind up to seeing. Yeah, and I like will if say... You, if you didn't live in that haunted house, would you, would you have been susceptible to see the yeah. ghost in your room? But I will say that since growing up and there's now no kids in my family, yeah, we don't have any ghostly goings on. So maybe there is something about the fact that my uncle did choose to go elsewhere when or pass on when we grew up yeah maybe be interesting to see like when you and your sister get to the the point where you want kids and see if the ghost hauntings come back yeah i hope not because yeah i I mean no disrespect i just want a quiet life (laughs) fair enough (laughs) i'm still afraid of the dark this is a very safe house and i've never seen anything in it i mean my house is very so it's a it's a new build i mean that don't mean anything i mean true but it was it's like on old farmland it's not that don't mean anything either (laughs) it's not like an ancient burial ground thank you so much jess for bringing me a true crime case it was lovely to be thank you for bringing a ghost story it was nice to change it up yeah, it was. Prank, everyone was like pranksters. <laughs> we got you. <laughs> but genuinely hope everyone has a lovely April. It is my birthday month this month. Ooh. And we will be doing a stream for my birthday. Yeah. Keep your eyes peeled on our social medias for us to say exactly when it's going to be. Mm-hmm. But no, we will be doing a birthday stream. I'm going to be the ripe old age of 29. <laughs> I say that like it's old and I know everyone's going to be like, it's not old, but it feels old. As it does when you're like turning 21 and you're like, oh my God, I'm so old. So yeah, keep your eyes peeled on our social medias uh, for us to announce my birthday stream. Mm. We'd love to see you there, but obviously we understand not everyone will be able to make it. Therefore, it will be put up on YouTube afterwards and hopefully little clips of it will be on our social media and hopefully everyone enjoys it. Yeah. Hopefully at least one person joins us. If it's anything like a normal recording, I mean, this one's, an hour and six minutes and our episodes are normally like 20 minutes long (laughs) enjoy all the waffle oh and you'll be able to see the ferrets yeah you'll be able to see the ferrets you'll get to see karen yes my cat unfortunately Uh, i can't bring delhi and albus but it would be a a, a shit show (laughs) imagine but hopefully yeah hopefully see you at my birthday stream keep Mm -hmm. your eyes peeled for us to announce that and all the details of what we'll be getting up to Obviously, we'll be telling ghost stories and true crime cases, but there'll probably be a few other bits and pieces. Yeah, and we'll do something special for your birthday, maybe. Oh, for me? Well, thank you for listening, everyone. If you have a case to suggest or a ghost story, you can email us at truecrimecoffinpod at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at truecrimecoven. Or on Instagram at truecrimecovenpod. We are so thankful for everyone who is listening. Thanks, guys. Thank you for your support. And absolutely, you don't have to. But if you would like to donate anything to the podcast, you can do so by going to ko-fi.com forward slash true crime coffin pod. That's ko-fi.com forward slash true crime coffin pod. Thanks for listening. Stay Stay spooky. spooky.